bringing those new topics into the factories also means train the people, educate the people, create new uh, capabilities within the teams. You should have this bold vision for where you want to go, uh, but a bold vision that, that is built around some proof points that you can quickly show. Transforming and upgrading your technology can be expensive, but so is funding outdated and inefficient IT. In today's episode, we'll learn from Volkswagen's Nihar Patel and Frank Guller as they share their strategies for upgrading and replacing existing systems. You'll learn how to communicate a bold vision within your organization to realize substantial cost savings and efficiencies. Welcome to AWS Industrial Insights. I'm your host, Caroline Lawrence. With each episode, we bring you an inspiring leader with practical advice to help you solve your toughest business challenges. Because we believe that sometimes all it takes is one big idea or one piece of wisdom to change your business forever. So thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's show. So to get started, Nihar, um, I'd really like to understand, you know, if we rewind back to the beginning of when this project initiative started with Volkswagen, can you kind of walk me through at what point you realized something needed to change and what triggered your team to take action? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and it's probably not one single uh, Big Bang element that caused us to to progress to the direction we've taken. But I think, as you could imagine, uh, VW being a large corporation with back then over 120 manufacturing locations that were churning out close to 11 million vehicles. And over time, each one of these plants creates their own sort of in, uh, IT structure, and everybody continues building on that. And what you what you end up gaining, of course, is that uh, plant level autonomy, but you, what you lose is the ability to work across all of your plants from an IT infrastructure standpoint. And as we were looking at our business and looking at what's happening in the world of digital plus the upcoming elements of cloud, it was quite evident to us that if we were going to make a change and really drive efficiency into our system, take productivity improvements, take cost out, uh, we had to really take a leap. That was uh, something that was a very bold move that uh, that was necessary. And, and in doing so, uh, we also received board uh, approval that uh, going down this pathway made a lot of sense because we wanted to come up with a common approach across our plants. And uh, also we realized very quickly as we started going through that journey that this is not a solo journey. It's going to require people to walk with us. Uh, and so we had to come up with new friends and partners who were going to help it, help with us. And AWS was one key partner we identified early in the journey. And then we've also got Siemens as another partner from an integration standpoint. And our initial focus was our production system. So we have something called the DPP, Digital Production Platform. And then with the long view always that we were going to bring across the rest of the core of our company, for example, logistics, supply chain, purchasing, all other elements would require the same sort of TLC uh, so what, but we had to prove that case out with the production platform, and that's where the partnership with Frank comes along. Yeah, absolutely. And can you talk a little bit too about what you mean by the challenges with having all of the various IT systems running independently at the plants, and how does that affect 
the company's uh, efficiency overall? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, uh, let, let's present the most chaotic of pictures. You know, you have uh, a single plant that's able to communicate within each other or maybe one or two plants are able to capture certain communications going on in terms of, hey, this thing is working here. This thing is not working here. We have a solution. Uh, why don't we pass along the solution to you? Uh, but that usually doesn't happen from a plant, didn't happen from a planned standpoint. It happened per chance. And so if you're, if you're maintaining multiple systems, multiple individual protocols, multiple people doing things on spreadsheets rather than a more singular way of doing things, uh, it, it may all work fine at individual locations, but it creates those levels of inefficiency. So you're supporting through cost, through people. You, you're not able to actively look through and figuring figure out where errors are taking place and quickly fix them. Uh, so you're continuously firefighting. And, and those are just simple mm -hmm. examples of what could go wrong. And maybe Frank can provide a little bit more detail on what he was seeing also from the plant side. Uh, but but I guess if at the simplest level, if you can find something that then cuts across the plants, that you can build uh, use cases, other solution sets on and allow for innovation to then take place and build even more, then you're able to quickly capture the journey from an on-premises into cloud, cloud back to on-prem uh, in, in a much more faster manner. And then you just end up training people to think in that particular way, as opposed to forcing people to continue to do multiple things with multiple systems, especially if you migrate a person from plant A to plant K, and there's a whole different way of doing business, then you're not utilizing the person in the best way either. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I'm curious too, from Frank, your perspective, how did you see this challenge when you first got involved and um, what motivated you to fix the problem? Um, and can you kind of just describe and walk through your experience with this? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah, Nihar mentioned a very uh, a big portion of the biggest topics. And maybe I can add uh, one or two uh, additional uh, thoughts from my side. Um, let me let me use an example. Um, I started my my um, career within Volkswagen in the mid or late 90s. And uh, there I started working on a system or with a system for material planning and material handling. And this was really a huge beast linking the product development process to material planning, to material transportation planning. And it was definitely uh, innovation. Um, but the system is still in place today, 25 years later. And if we take a look now on that system, it's it's a huge monolithic architecture. It is really massive in complexity. Um, there are several sometimes redundant databases in the system. A lot of manual interfaces uh, are uh, now visible here. And also uh, so-called hardwired algorithms to, to, to give us the solutions. And, and this is definitely the, the topic we have to overcome. We, we, we talk about brownfield. We are not a company building greenfield factories and greenfield IT architecture. We always have to take into account that systems are existing that systems are supporting our operating uh, operations and production and the systems have to run. Um, a plant manager or a local CIO will never exact the stop of the, of the manufacturing line uh, due to, a, to a, a stoppage or unplanned stoppage in an IT system. 
So we have to be very careful um, how to slice the elephant, how to um, slice the transformation work uh, so that we really bring in the new ideas, the new, the new um, platform-driven and cloud-driven solutions, but also to assure that the existing um, um, old or legacy systems uh, can, can do the job where they have to do until they are displaced. Yeah, that sounds like an extremely fragile, complex uh, initiative to take on. And I love that you called it slicing the elephant. I think that's probably the best analogy I've heard for legacy systems so far. So that's a great way to describe it. Um, but if we look at the broader industry, Doug, can you help us understand, is this common across other industrial types of companies or would you see this as being unique to Volkswagen? Now, I think, you know, the problems that were outlined are seen by many big companies out there and, you know, other companies that have probably more than three locations. Everybody is struggling with how do you build once and scale to every location. <clears throat> and I think that that is, uh, you know, what Volkswagen has done here is a way to help with that scale standpoint. Historically, what would a company do? One plant would go out, they would build a use, they would find a use case that probably everybody has, they would build it and they would use it. The second factory, which probably has the same use case and same business issue that they're having, would go off and build their use case and their solution for that use case. And that just adds to a, a cost structure that gets really unwieldy in some aspects. But the other thing is you're taking away from the core business of the plant. The plant does not, you know, they're mm. not typically built or, or people that are sitting out there that are technology experts. They are technology experts in operational technology, but may not be data experts, reporting experts, those type of things. So now all of a sudden either hiring a new skill set or you're taking people away from their day job, which means they're not doing their day job. And again, cost structure starts to get a little bit crazy. And I think that's that's a couple of the things that the partnership is really bringing here is the fact that we can build a use case and scale it many times as we start to go forward. And that is that is one of the great things that AWS is bringing to our additional customers out there. When you look at our marketplace, you look at not just a marketplace for a big company, but marketplaces for small companies. There's thousands of solutions that are built out there. It could be a simple OE dashboard. It could be a predictive maintenance offering. It could be lots of different things in that area. But now a company can go in, search for that area, or work with their salesperson, because sometimes it's hard to sift through thousands of those different offerings. And now what they're able to do is very quickly find it, implement it, and keep moving on with their continuous innovation or continuous improvement capabilities that every plant wants to be able to do. And, and, and Caroline, if, if, if like... I may, Caroline, yes. if I may just interject there, I think as Doug mentioned, uh, a lot of industries see very similar things, particularly discrete manufacturing and process-based industries. And as we had started this journey, as I mentioned a few years back, uh, along with AWS and other partners, we took a very long view on this and said, gee, if this thing works for VW, because VW is going to consume what it what it's preaching and VW is going to consume what it builds collectively uh, as the first testing point. And that's the largest market test you could think about. 
then if it works for us, why shouldn't it work for other members of the industry? So our supply chain partners, logistics partners, other automakers. So I, I think Doug, Doug, Doug is exactly right. There's a very similar need out there. And if we can collectively provide not just to VW, something that works for VW, but then find a way of providing this to a broader element of the automotive and other discrete manufacturing industries, that's always been part of our long view vision on this topic. Absolutely. And if I would consider myself, let's say, a paper manufacturer or some type of um, manufacturing company that has multiple factories around the world, I'm just curious, you know, where in the world do you start with this um, and how did you, Nihar, decide which use cases and um, mission-based projects to start on right away? Yeah, I think I think it's it's not certainly one person who does it. I mean, I think Frank is probably much more uh, involved in this journey. Uh, so I, I would I would actually see if maybe Frank can provide a more detailed response. But I think we, of course, as an automotive company. Uh, not a paper company, have a list of things that we know we, that are problem childs out there that need fixing. We have solutions already that uh, either work, uh, that we know work, and that uh, perhaps we could quickly see how we could scale those solutions. But they all need some level of a, uh, set, I guess, a, a starting point to put it all on the same language. And the language we needed was this thing called a platform and working with AWS mm -hmm. tools, things like that is starting to create that platform. So then you create this set of blocks that can build onto the platform, and then you can create the inertia that's necessary to, to scale across the board. But, but the starting point, of course, is recognizing A, you need it, and B, then identifying that short list or the long list of use cases to work through. And maybe at this point, if I could uh, see if Frank might be able to uh, take the ball and see what's the journey that we've gone through that's allowed us to really create a very fantastic flywheel now on the use case journey as well. Yeah, thanks, Niar. I'd love to take over here. Um, and I think before we select the partner um, where to start, the, the very first question to be answered is, um, what is the purpose? What is the common understanding of our target picture we want to achieve? Um, without that picture, people will really easily stay to the to the given world and to the status quo and will not change uh, um, uh, much. So therefore, first thing is really describe the urgency for change and describe the, the new structure, the new architecture. Why do we change the whole setup of our IT system and infrastructure? And this is not only IT talk, this is also um, a production expert talk because they have to understand how does this affect the, the, the existing processes. Give you an example because if we have, for example, traditional quality assurance or control processes with um, maybe masses of people checking cars, checking uh, um, um, parameters and so on, and you start talking about, um, for example, um, industrial computer vision systems that are automatically check for parameters and for uh, quality uh, topics, then that's a change. That's a change of the organization. That's a change how people have to work. And this must be clear in the beginning that this change will come. And then definitely, yes, you should think about which factories uh, have the have a high willingness to really um, yeah, experience or to pilot those new ideas. 
and also um, which which um, see really a big impact to improve their performance with the new systems and then you can make it step by step then you you have also some alliances that they say oh let's start first in in the the factories for example in germany then let's continue to the us with the factories here so you can really make it as a kind of roadmap plan uh, on step by step um, which people and which factories to be engaged and what are then also the next technology steps um, because we will not start changing in the very center of the IT system. So as I said in the beginning, um, the, the first cut will not be in the hard muzzle. It will be, it will be in, a, in a not so sensitive area. So if something is going wrong or, uh, or, or, or fails, that the, the whole system will not break down. Yeah, and you bring up a really interesting point that this is not a one person job, for example. This is, you know, it sounds to me like you built a rallying cry within your organization of advocates for this change so that it wasn't just one person or one team who's advocating for it, but rather multiple different roles from various parts of the organization. And I think that that right now, especially given, you know, the skills gap within this industry is critical to managing the cultures within the organization. So I'm just, I'd like to understand, you know, as a leader, how did you build that rallying cry and how did you create advocates to fight for this change and um, be willing to work through it even when things didn't go well? Um. We are still in the middle of that, I want to say, um, because there are three, three very important words. Yeah? Communicate, communicate, communicate. We have to talk about it um, and we have to really show the impact of our change. Um, in the beginning, people quickly ask, oh, you spend so much money and so much resources to do that change, but only a tiny impact is visible on the, on the controlling on the finance side. Yeah, and that's true. In the beginning, the, 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 the apples are not that big you will, you will uh, get from the apple tree, um, but they will grow. And uh, Nihar mentioned the flywheel, and we know the flywheel is turning now quicker and quicker, and the, the apples grow, and uh, the appetite is also getting bigger and bigger, and therefore you have to talk about that. You have to show the pilots, you have to show the impact and how processes will change, and then people will ask for it. And you are on the winner street, on the winner road, if people really run to you and say, oh, come on, give me this new application, give me this new stuff, I want to have mm -hmm. it, I want to apply it in my factory. <laughs> and if you're on that road, then you are, you are the winner. Um, but if you have to push the guys to move it, oh, please let us do a pilot, oh, please let us do this test trail, then you are still in the incubation and starting phase. And I think we are at the moment in the in mm -hmm. the uh, in between those phases. We have we have some factories and brands. They're really behind it. They really push it and say, "I want to have it. Give me more energy. Give me more good ideas." And others, they say, "Oh, a bit critical. Let's see how this uh, develops." Uh, but they they all will understand. And I think if we do that talk in twelve months' time, uh, we can tell um, uh, about the big success we are creating here. Yeah, absolutely. You bring up a really good point, too, of measuring that success early in the beginning. And I can imagine, you know, in a perfect world, everything would go smoothly. There wouldn't be any issues, but that's unrealistic. Um, we know that failures have to happen sometimes. So, 
Can you share with us maybe some examples of a time when something didn't go as planned, but you were able to course correct and get back on track and learn from it? Yeah, it, it, uh, yeah. it, it was a joint activity. We have started with our AWS colleagues and the teams because bringing those new topics into the factories also means train the people, educate the people, create new uh, capabilities within the teams. And we really, we really had a hard time in the beginning to establish the, the very good AWS trainings within the Volkswagen world due to some legal reasons, due to some administrative uh, 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 blockages. And um, it really was mm. painful to, to see the trainings are available and there would be very good content we can deliver to our people, but there are some administrative um, um, blockages that will stop us doing the trainings. And it took us much too much time to, um, to start those trainings. But now we are full on track. We have the training started. We have, I um, think, over, I don't know the number exactly, but over 500 people now full in the training. And uh, it, it, this number grows day by day. Um, to really educate um, um, the the guys and the, uh, and and all the the teams within the new with the new content. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's it's great that you focused on educating and training the workforce before bringing in all of the new change and the technology and where the um, company would be moving. How did you choose the right training, and how did you make sure that it would be effective in teaching them um, going forward? Here as well, AWS was a big help because they know the content, they know the technical elements and um, creating our first applications and uh, creating the first um, uh, platform services, so to say, uh, it was very obvious which are the, which are the first elements. So uh, using some exist or some, a lot of, uh, of the existing elements um, in the AWS world combined with um, additional new uh, content from, from our side, talking about connectivity, how to, how to um, link our real machine world to the virtual world. Um, that was uh, quite the first step in the training and we have to develop more content uh, within the next months because the application, uh, the number of application will grow and therefore the need for, for training and capability building uh, is growing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I find it interesting too that you um, are referring to it as capabilities that are growing. And I think that I see that as a trend within the industry is focusing on building those capabilities within the workforce. Um, Nihar, can you provide some examples on capabilities that Volkswagen is focused on building with the workforce and how they want to grow their employees? Sure. I think um, one of the most critical capabilities we've uh, certainly as a company identified is the ability to continue building software skills. We, we want to transition ourselves from not just being a hardware company, but more and more being the software world. And, uh, and you know, there could be no better partners to learn from than, uh, for example, AWS. And we set up joint operations in Berlin and a couple of other locations where we're sitting jointly with the teams to think through the industrial requirements, think through the coding requirements or the, or the solution requirements, and then working together to build the expertise that's, that are necessary as one example where we can learn very collectively from, from the best in the world. Uh, but also at the same time as that's going on, we have invested as a company in building more education and training around software. So there's 
some additional partnerships we've created where we will bring in people, uh, give them the right level of education, just using, for example, coding and software is just the core example here. Uh, and, but, but also at the same time, uh, we are leaning into our own organization because as VW, we have a significant number of what we call partner companies and one partner companies, MHP, who are experts in doing stuff that Frank has been describing, and we're now muscling them up to see how they could provide a little bit more development ops, DevOps uh, skill sets. Again, things that we instantly don't have within our normal operations, but we know they exist uh, within the rest of the family and are building it through the joint work that we're doing with AWS, but also very rapidly building through our education processes and other partnerships because we recognize that this is a great opportunity. You have to really move at speed. And if you if you sort to take the normal journeying point, we just will be trailing significantly. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. And thank you for sharing that. It's really interesting to hear how, you know, various industrial companies are prioritizing the capability building within their workforce. But now I would like to transition to looking at this entire conversation from a leadership perspective. And Frank, my question for you is, you know, what did you learn about yourself as a leader? And what did you learn about approaching this challenge as you worked through it? Was there anything that surprised you? And, um, you know, how can our listeners who are possibly going through the same challenges benefit from what you learned? Um. Oh, that, I think there's there's a lot of I could share here. Let me let me pick the maybe the, the one or two uh, core learnings for me. One very very new experience and, and big learning was uh, working together with the AWS teams, um, going through the, the the press releases for the future and also for the uh, the, the working working along a narrative. So I really appreciate the way to develop a narrative for an executive board or a really senior executive board. And then um, uh, seeing how this narrative is discussed and uh, improved in a very constructive way. And uh, with rules like um, senior talks last um, or really very, very constructive discussion within these rounds, that was definitely a big learning in this specific project set up together with our partner AWS. So I, I like that very much and I hope that I can bring this experience also in the into the, the VW world and we we can see it that is uh, it, it's it's getting more and more um, common to to our uh, colleagues as well. A second learning is linked to the communication topic I have mentioned before. Um, having such a big project uh, in mind and, and uh, in the execution process, you can never communicate uh, too much. It means you have to talk to all the partners, to all the stakeholders, and you have always uh, be aware that information is misunderstood and you have to, to, to be um, alert that uh, um, misunderstanding has to be clarified or, or uh, sorted out. I think that is really a big, big, a big, big topic as a leader to to foster that communication, to bring the right people together, and to always align the the the, the departments and the stakeholders again to the to the joint target picture, 
because we have so much distracting uh, um, activities around us, um, crisis, uh, coronavirus, uh, other stuff, there are shortages of some material. Um, there's always the chance that you lose the track and you have to take care that the track is visible, that people have understood the track. And if there is a bypass or, or maybe a hurdle you have to go around, you have to communicate this as well. So I want to say 50% of my time is definitely talking to people, bringing them together and giving the right messages to them. You bring up a really good point about the communication. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, when you mention communication, I think of all the various different ways we communicate. Sometimes it's through email or if you're texting a colleague or calling them on the phone. Can you talk a little bit about what types of communication you're referring to and um, did you choose to speak in person for, you know, specific reasons or would you defer to an email? I'm just kind of curious, like, how did you choose the right avenue of communication? Okay. okay. Um, the, the, my, my, my planned world or, or um, ideal world would be that we have uh, interactions in, in small groups uh, so that the people can really face each other and really have an exchange on, on the, on the yeah, um, topic that is planned. With the, with the uh, coronavirus in the world, everything was on Teams and much too much email. So the email is definitely the, the, the yeah, I wanted the, 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 the last, the last communication channel I, I prefer because uh, emails can deliver mm. a lot of uh, misunderstanding or interpretation. Therefore, the spoken word face to face is definitely the best one. And I'm personally a, a, a big fan of, um, of small workshop sessions, like, like, if, like the sprint approach, if we talk about agile methods that we say, let's work on that maybe one day, very focused, very concentrated, but then it's over or it's done. And not only this half an hour meetings, uh, jumping to 20 topics within one days, that is not that effective. So having a focus, be, mm -hmm. be very precise and punctual on the, on the topic. And then I think the impact is the best. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned a lot of processes that I think are unique to Amazon um, that we collaborate with partners and customers on, but just want to level set too for maybe some of our listeners who aren't aware of these processes. Doug, can you just give a brief overview of um, what the flywheel is? Because I've heard that mentioned a couple of times and also the, the narrative process, just to make sure everyone's on the same page. If we look at the flywheel, and this was something that you know, Jeff Bezos started years ago when he was looking at what is the value creation that you're going to start getting from Amazon.com. And he said, if I can, um, you know, get the best selection, I'm going to get more customers. So that's two, two cogs in the flywheel. But the third, the, the second point he said was, if I can get more customers, <clears throat> excuse me, and get better, better selection, I will be able to lower prices. Lower prices is going to be able to get me more customers. More customers gets me more people who want to sell on me. And you get that type of capability going. Now, how do you attract more customers within that cog of the flywheel? You may look at marketing and outreach and other campaigns and making it easier to work with you as a company, which will make more people want to be on you. More people being on you is going to allow more vendors to sell with you and so on from that standpoint. <clears throat> We've kind of looked at the same thing for manufacturing and even higher level level uh, type of capabilities. So think of your connected vehicle and the amount of telemetry that is out there. 
what we do is kind of say, great, let's bring that information back. We can now do, you know, future potential capabilities of things like predictive maintenance and allow that machine to get faster, that vehicle that's driving better as you start to go forward. Well, that data is also incredibly valuable for your engineering and design. So could you get that data, not just for warranty or, you know, maintenance type of plans, but now could somebody in research and design or engineering and design actually look at that real life information and understand how the users are using the car. Make sure that the car is being updated periodically and you can start to make that vehicle better for your users. And if it's better for your users, they're going to want to stay with you and buy more of your product and so on from there. But at the same time, moving from engineering to production, again, those were typically silos of, of people and divisions within a company. And flipping it back and forth with that, what we wanted to be able to do is tighten either from production planning to actual production capabilities, but also then how does that production information come back to actually help with the production design? So if I start seeing things that are happening on my production floor, could I do something in my production design to improve how that product's going out from there? Now that's a really high level picture and really big, bold type of statements that you go from. And what we try and do is work backwards. So one of the capabilities, and you know, Nihar, I believe, mentioned this a moment ago, is building out a press release. So let's look at one or two of these really specific use cases and take a step back and outline what does this mean. So looking at it and building a document, just like you would build a document for the Wall Street Journal or for the New York Times or whichever newspaper you have locally. Now, I'm not saying we're going to build that press release and send it to them. That's not the case for that. But what it is, it's a case to build that document and everybody agrees on it. Once everybody agrees on it, now you have a project plan. Our issue is X and we did Y to actually build and solve that capability. And it's a really unique way to look at solutions and offerings and capabilities within a customer that a customer typically may not look at. You define who the customer is. And sometimes like with a VW, you may have two or three or four different levels of a customer. You may have a, a line worker. You may have a plant manager. And ultimately you have the person who's buying the vehicle. So how do you look at those and what the nuances that will be affected by what you're doing with those different end users or end customers out there in mind? Now, once you aggregate that together, again, as I said, you have a, a north guiding star. In other words, where are we going to go to? But we're, we're kind of finic not, not really as this is the first step, the second step, the third step. As we all know in a journey, you, know, you may have to take a step to the right versus a step to the left, but you thought you were planning to step to the left. So you have course correction that is constantly going on and constantly being updated to ensure that what you're doing is correct for the end users moving forward. Wow, that's those are some really good points. And, you know, that it it changes the way you think about your future plans, too, for the company and how you want to plan moving forward. And I think those are some really good principles. And um, on today's episode blog, I'll be sure to include some more detailed links on that um, PR process, the narrative and the flywheel, if anyone wants to read more into that. But, you know, as we kind of come to a conclusion here in our conversation and wrap up, I really want to look at the 
the future of this, maybe five, 10 years from now. Um, and Nihar and Frank, I'd like to wrap up by asking each of you to share, you know, given our conversation today, given what you've learned and how you're going to approach the future, what would be your number one advice to any industrial manufacturing company who is facing a similar issue on how to approach this? So I'll start with Nihar. Can you share your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's probably so many lessons learned that you could provide. But if you had to pick one, I think that we haven't maybe talked about is you you should have this bold vision for where you want to go, uh, but a bold vision that that is built around some proof points that you can quickly show. So the the vision that we have, which is you could create a platform business, an open marketplace, uh, create this flywheel that Doug was describing through consumers and contributors, uh, working with a whole bunch of really smart partners, uh, and prove the case out at VW and quickly migrate it across the the rest of the industry to get to that point of view. I think I think it's important to continue having that sort of North Star view out there that says this doesn't exist. We know that there's a demand for a singular repository of, I'll use technical terms, IIoT solutions that are out that are that are needed out there. And there's got to be a pain-free way of getting access to that stuff. We, we know as a customer, we would want it. And so, again, keeping that sort of a customer headset in mind and ma- matching it to the bold vision that you have that comes from it, I think is critical. And then I think we've we've heard the beauty of significant levels of communications, internal, 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 before you go external, making sure the right governance is at a place. And then I think you, you've, you've also got to recognize that that you have to put a whole bunch of smart people together, smart organizations together to achieve this vision. If anybody has the view that you're going to do it solo, I think you might go some ways, but if you want a journey, you got to partner with people all the way through if you if you expect it to be a marathon. And, and we think this is a marathon. Thank you for sharing that. That's a really good perspective. Frank, can you share your number one advice for us? Yeah, thanks a lot, Nihar, uh, for for the for the marathon because that's exactly a thing I can I can connect with. Um, if I take the picture of a marathon, then it's not the running shoe, it's not the trouser or the sunglasses makes you win. It's the team around you, and it's your 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 you personally what you are doing and how you are uh, um, trained. And for a transformation. It's always the same. It's not a technology we are using. It's not the innovation um, uh, we we have to or we can bring into the into the, the transformation. It's definitely the people. It's definitely the team uh, that is driving it. And here the saying is always the same: choose the right people so that we have a have people in the team that makes us better, but not bigger. And that's definitely for each big company uh, a big challenge because we have loads of people, definitely yes. Uh, and now we have to select the right ones for the for the for the initial for the initial start for this first spark of fire that uh, we can really create um, a high energy to to run it for the next years. And and that brings me back to the marathon. Um, it's not only um, a, a small spark for a small fire. It's definitely uh, a, a very broad fire and we want to really change it in the in the full network in the full uh, um, um, uh, setup 
and therefore we need a lot of energy and this this energy can only be brought in by the by the right people and therefore try to find the right people and put them to the right places thank you for tuning in to aws industrial insights if you want to learn more about today's episode head over to the blog for a list of featured resources on this topic You can also find today's blog in the episode description and also on our website at aws.amazon.com slash industrial slash podcast. 